Hi, and welcome to the Drum Podcast on Everything Negotiations with your host, Mike Lander. The aim of our show is to give you practical negotiation insights from global marketing industry experts. We're all about actionable insights. We want you to take away one or two things per episode that can help you move the ball forward in your business. We really hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe and keep coming back for more. So, Henry, thanks ever so much for coming on to the drum as one of our uh, guests around negotiation topics. And we've got a few kind of topics to cover. Uh, but first of all, before we do that, just a bit about your background and where you've come from, because you've held very senior commercial roles in huge organizations. So, yeah, just tell our listeners kind of where you're from. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Great to be here. Uh, and uh, I, I will start with, I didn't know what I was going to do in a career. Uh, as many of us, as sort of you bang around a little while. I started in investment banking and sort of thought, uh, you know, there was there had to be something more for me. Uh, got into media uh, in print uh, in magazines for many years and moved over to sort of the web and digital uh, in about two, early 2004 and have been in, in that medium uh, ever since. You know, I have been at Google and now at LinkedIn for almost nine years, running sort of large commercial teams, uh, first in sort of North America kind of, and then uh, global for the last, say, 13, 14 years. Brilliant. Thank you. And to give a kind of scale for people that are listening, because obviously this is all about negotiation. These are kind of like, you know, negotiations, insights, kind of background on, on negotiations to have a bit of a dialogue around. Um, just give me a kind of range. What's the, don't have to like name the company. But just kind of the biggest deal you've negotiated and the smallest. What's the spectrum, Henry? Oh gosh, uh, spectrum would be, um, you know, and and we'll get into the what negotiation is because I think that's a it's a part of the answer. Um, but you know, we're working with hundred million dollars up to billion dollars kind of scale um, in in past lives, and you know, again certainly in the tens of millions, hundred million kind of things uh, these days. And then they're down to very small, you know, sometimes the smaller deals are more tricky um, in terms of negotiation. So you could say actually in the hundreds of dollars or pounds or, uh, you know, thousands, small thousands. So it's, it is the full, full range, I would say. And that's really interesting about actually some of the smaller deals can be trickier. Often, so my experience is, is that that's because, if you're negotiating with an SME, a small, medium-sized company, you know, a, a $10,000 deal for them might be a huge deal, might be a big thing for them. So cash flow management becomes important to them. It's a big deal for them. And then you look at the billion-dollar deals, and when you were doing those, you know, you probably had a bunch of lawyers around you and advisors and preparations and might take 18 months. So... Yeah, it, I think looking at it from the counterparty's perspective about why it's important to them, I think is one of the kind of themes. Yeah, and it's and it's all I think you know the theme around losing a negotiation often is sort of risk tolerance, or at least how you come out of a negotiation is sort of what's your risk as you enter it. And you're right, the SME uh, there's a lot more risk there because they've got to meet payroll the next week, they've got to you know, pay their pay their rent on their building, whatever it might be. So I, I completely agree. Most of the the more challenging discussions or negotiations have been with smaller enterprises, just for for not because the people involved are more difficult. It's because there may be more at stake. There's more risk. 
Exactly right. So you talked before about, you know, kind of what is a negotiation. And before we started recording, uh, you were talking about these innate skills that we kind of pick up. What's your view on just negotiation as a topic? What's your kind of like thoughts on it? Yeah, there, there's, um, you know, with even just as you and I were starting to talk about it, I was thinking like, I don't think of it as negotiation as much. Like the definition of negotiation to me is sort of morphed and changed. Uh, you know, I, I I now just think about we're trying to get to a place, that person and myself, or to your point, oftentimes a team of people uh, that may be on either side of a table are getting, uh, you know, sort of trying to work to a place where there's a clear value exchange. And you know, the, the difference of today, I think, in the world that we're all living in today, operating in today versus 10, 20, 30 years ago, is there's a lot more transparency. And so I think negotiation at large, from the way we've always traditionally thought about negotiation, has changed greatly because the pressure of the lack of information uh, is, not, is not as much of a, a challenge as it once was. There is so much if you do your the preparation properly, you will have a lot of information on the negotiation itself, both sides, likely outcomes or desired outcomes. And so really what you're trying to do, I think, in this day is trying to figure out the right value exchange that is acceptable for both before you even enter the room or enter the negotiation. And that's very different than it was. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have a big thing when I talk to talk to my clients about you know, negotiation, preparation, and skills, uh, training for salespeople in particular. Um, as I was saying, I'm, I'm an ex-buyer. I now work with sellers. And I always say, look, you know, well over three quarters of the value in any negotiation is the preparation. Right. And what you just talked about there, about the kind of transparency, I remember going back, wow, 20 years, KPMG. I was ex-KPMG, running large-scale transformation programs. Um, we had a library. And we'd go to the library and we'd read, you know, market research reports and we'd read industry journals and we'd physically pick up the copy. That's only 20 years ago. Yeah. Now, so preparation was really hard because unless you went to the British Library, in our case, where they have more assets, you know, it was very difficult to find out what's going on. And it wasn't current. Whereas now, the internet's made it transparent. Places like LinkedIn, where people are posting, Really easy to find out what's on someone's mind. What's their style? Podcasts. What's their tone of voice? You know, I listened to you before doing my research. I knew your tone of voice. I knew your face. I knew how you were as a person. And you're consistent. You're the same when I speak to you live now. So I think that's changed dramatically our ability to prepare. And I think that that to me is the fundamental, you know, sort of difference today. It is all of what you just said. You are so much more prepared and it's not necessarily about the facts and figures because we might have actually figured out all that together, either through the British Library or uh, some kind of research report or some preparation. You'd get to the facts and figures. I think you'd pretty much be at the same place, but it is around the personality, the tone, the intention some intangibles now are more transparent. We can learn about a person. We understand their goals. We may understand their potential objections before you even are close to a relationship. And so that's why I think negotiation has really changed dramatically in the last, again, 15, 20 years because of really this access to who we are as people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the authenticity, you know, that we, right. 
we can't escape ourselves as human beings. We are we're authentic. And the more that you know, yeah, very senior roles like yours, you're speaking on platforms, you're writing, you're podcasting. Um, so your your authentic tone of voice is kind of out there. And that really helps when you're negotiating. Yeah, and I think the authenticity, you're exactly right. So first of all, we can find it, we can learn about it. <clears throat> but then uh, you know, it it is sort of uh the then the behavior becomes expected. Yeah. So that which is what sometimes threw me off earlier in negotiations was when unexpected behavior happened, or I would prepare, I would actually feel like I had all the right facts and figures, but the person didn't behave the way I would expect them based on all my preparation. So let me just talk about that. Let, let's just, because as we said, this is a bit of a kind of a rabbit warren of things that you explore as you have a dialogue. Some of the kind of things, characteristics. I know as an ex-buyer, we were trained in certain ways. There'd be the, the table thumper, there'd be the Columbo technique, there'd be the soft voice, the soft shoe, shoe soft, you know, all those different types. What were some of the things that happened to you when you were taken off guard? Gosh, that, that would be, yeah, the examples are, I remember it very well. There'd be all those that you're mentioning, uh, the good guy, bad guy, you know, somebody would come in at the 11th hour and say they need to make a phone call and they need, you know, and everything would start over again. And you'd say, we were right there and now we've got to start over and I've got to tell, convince this second person why my side. So, so to, to be honest, I think that was always the hardest for me was, and there's examples, again, the one that I just said, I was distinctly remember being in negotiations with buyers where we were not making a lot of progress. And then uh, because we hadn't sort of come to that understanding value exchange, like true, it was one of us thought it was not right. It was one of us was not getting. There's an imbalance in the value exchange. Exactly right. And instead of continuing, in my recollection, which may be one-sided, he was giving up and sort of without me knowing it, he had called in his colleague. So he either table thumped or whatever their secret code was. Another colleague comes in and they change positions, which I totally threw me off for what, what do I do now? And they ended up in my mind, you know, doing better in the negotiation. I got less value than I was expecting because it it sort of threw off actually the way I was prepared and the way I was thinking about moving forward and and I wasn't ready for it. So there's I, I'm sure there's many examples of that, but it was something where the the preparation, all the preparation I made or did, the plan was erased. like it just switched in the middle and I was not ready for that at all. Exactly. And that that's a great example of um and that kind of um that value exchange, the balance being imbalanced. And if you hadn't done any preparation, it had been a car crash. Yeah. <laughs> so you had to do the preparation to get to base camp. But when you get to base camp, things happen that you just don't expect. And that ability to pause and to say, you know what, we're going to take a time out here. You've changed your lead negotiator. Let's just take a time out 15 minutes. Let's just, yeah, kind of like regroup. I think that's one of the one of the lessons I've had uh, in this, honestly, Mike, is, and, and we are saying like it becomes more innate. Now, if I look back on what I would have done, 
I would have asked to pause or would have asked for, let's get a good cup of water or a glass of, you know, tea, something. Um, I think now more innately, I would react of, I'm not under, like, I'm not sure what's going on here. Like, let's, you know, reboot or let's, you know, understand, please. I'm not sure I understand. Can you help me? So let's start from square one. Like, you know, so I, I feel like I would have more confidence now to sort of really be able to sort of stop the situation and and make sure we're we're resetting at a place where both of us are starting from a fair place. Um, and so that that just I think has become more innate to me is more of the questions and more of the ability to know the moment you're in. And I think that calling it out, and again, anyone listening to this that's been in that situation, uh, and we've all learned our lessons over the years calling it what it is if someone's using a tactic which is in many ways unfair call it out yeah that comes from confidence yeah and just saying look you know you've changed the goalposts here you've changed the negotiator you've changed the goalposts yeah what's going on here guys tell me what's going on yeah what what am i missing is yeah. there something that we're not sort of i'm not able to articulate the value properly like what where where is the this incongruence, like what, what is the issue now that is yeah. sort of making us change? And talk about so something else, a topic that um, is kind of quite dear to my heart uh, is around anxiety in negotiations. You know, I remember many negotiations I've been in where I've prepared, I'm about to walk into the room, my heart rate increases, my stomach starts to churn, you know, whether I'm on the buy or the sell side. I remember some negotiations we did back in the recession in 2007, 2008, which were really, really tough. Yeah, those were very anxious moments. Any experience of that and how you manage the anxiety? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize I was going to be on a, a couch today. Too. <laughs> uh, so yes. I forgot to say to you, it, it's actually a therapy session, Penry, yeah, yeah. not a discussion on a, on a podcast. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I, absolutely. I think that's the corner of this, not being able to make that adjustment in real time for me. It was probably because I was anxious about what's happening right now. I don't understand what's happening. So you, the heart rate increases, et cetera. So yeah, that that's a big part of this. And to me, that's the lesson I've learned is back to preparation. Yeah. Uh, back to understanding sort of this is really about, and, and I, I can't remember where I read this at, a, a while ago, but some people negotiate with the idea of winning. Right. Uh, and therefore, that means somebody must be a loser. Exactly. And I think that causes a lot of anxiety for people. If that's the, if that's the unknown, if you're going into a negotiation where you don't know this person as well or, or this team and they come across at some point or they are really dedicated or working towards winning something and therefore you losing something. I think that gets me to a place where definitely more anxious about, I don't want to lose. And what is it, again, the risk for me for losing for my organization or my team, et cetera. And so I think, again, in those instances, I've tried to think about this isn't to, and I would speak to the person saying, this really shouldn't be about winning and losing. I, I would hope we're, you know, sort of in a discussion to be partners for a, a long period of time. And if we don't come to a more of a win-win understanding, you know, we will probably start the relation off relationship off with a little less trust than we may better may both benefit from over the longer period of time. And so the question I always have is, 
is the negotiation about a win-loss or is it about a win-win? And moving it to make sure you understand how both teams can win, sort of the process of negotiation where you're really the right kind of questions, the right preparation again about actually what would be a win for them and the other side and for you, uh, and having your confidence to sort of move towards moving towards this win-win dialogue, I think to me is one of my things I've learned and try to think about as a best practice for the way I operate. That's a great, great thought uh, and great insight about your experience. Um, William Yori from Harvard, he talks about, are you carving up a pie? Win-lose, because you're distributing value. Are you making the pie bigger? Win-win. And sadly, a lot of negotiations end up in, we're carving up a fixed pie. Whereas what you so kind of cleverly articulated was, well, can we make the pie bigger? Can I create more value for you and you create more value for me? And that way, we're both going to end up with a better deal. And I've done many of those in the past as a buyer where we've looked at things often from a very kind of like tight, tight defined scope very narrow. And the brilliant salespeople that I've met, brilliant suppliers have gone, what problem are you trying to solve again? What business problem have you got? And I go, okay, this is the business problem. And they go like, and what are the targets you're aiming for? And I talk about the targets. And then they say, have you got lots of suppliers that are involved in this value chain of stuff you're doing? And I'm like, yeah, we have. And they're like, what about if we actually brought it all together under one umbrella and we created more value for you? and more accountability from a fewer number of suppliers. W would that be of benefit? And I'm like, okay, now we're talking. Right, right. Yeah, I think that, the, you know, again, this is goes back to the definition of negotiation or what really negotiation is about. Negotiation oftentimes can be about creativity. And, you know, you just articulated an example. We have examples all the time of people coming with a fixed budget to a discussion or a negotiation uh, or, or a planning period where they come in with this mindset that this is what I have. Uh, and that's only the beginning point then for a creative sort of commercial discussion to say, great, well, <clears throat> I understand that, but guess what? We've got a whole other story to talk about today because the fixed budget, let's not even worry about that. Let's just talk about what we can create. And, you know, I find those to be why those discussions are why I still love doing what I'm doing, because it really is less about negotiation, win-lose, or even at times sort of, again, setting up a win-win, but actually being creative enough to think about what are we really trying to accomplish and what can, you know, in my case now, what can LinkedIn do or in past lives, what can this other property do to be helpful in actually a business solution that you need? Have you got any examples? I mean, if you haven't, that's fine. But anything comes to mind about a kind of, you don't have to name the companies, but where you say, where you kind of got into that mode of let's create more value for each other that's much bigger than we first thought? Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm sure we could get into lots of them. I, you know, there's a telco company right now who we've been working with as a platform and they had uh, sort of a one-way, this is what I think, you know, again, for LinkedIn, this is what I think LinkedIn is good for. Uh, and we, we've done testing, we know, and we this audience and, and these kind of messages and this kind of objective. <clears throat> and our, I think 
smartly, our team was able to say, you know, that's great. You're right. But I don't think you even know about this whole other, you know, concept. And and actually, it's related to podcasts. We, we, we sort of started working with podcasters and thinking about a pod, a sort of a, you know, much like this, a professional business related context uh, uh, podcast. And, and we were able to sort of package up a whole new opportunity that uh, was actually related to their core objective. They had never thought about it because we hadn't, you know, on our team, we hadn't brought it to them yet, or it was sort of on the relatively new side. But, uh, you know, I think there's lots of examples where a negotiation starts with a fixed either sum or a specific objective to be negotiated, which actually, as you go through the discussion, many new things are brought into the discussion. And that, that again, to me, is is the beauty of, of what, again, you could call negotiation, but it's really around creative problem solving around, around business objectives. Absolutely. I mean, I remember while doing work years ago on um, the Bono's Six Hats, and we use that as a in mainstream consulting. We'd use that as a technique to break assumptions and to break thought patterns to get you into that creative mindset, which I think is what you've just described. Yeah, we 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 have some uh, some uh, role play. We've got a few things that we've sort of worked into the teams to sort of help, sort of start to and 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 sort of really around questioning, like what kind of questions should be asking at the beginning of negotiations to start to really uncover opportunity. Definitely. So collaborative versus competitive negotiations. We've kind of covered the other two topics, but that one we haven't really touched on. Let's just talk about that for a second in terms of, um, you know, just your style, your my read. So let me try and, I don't know you, Penry. Here we go. Here we go. Let's see, Mike. <laughs> so I've never worked with you. This is the first time I've met you, but I've done my homework and I've looked online. But you come across authentically and consistently from the stuff I've seen, very collaborative. You know, let me just like summarize what you've talked about. You know, value exchange. Collaborators want to exchange value, create value for each other. Transparency. Collaborators want to be transparent about who they are and what their interests are. Not what their demands are, but what their interests are. So that the other person can try and collaborate and see if they can meet their, their interests. You know, winners and losers is a, is a bad approach. What you want is winners and winners and long-term partnerships. And again, anyone that's negotiated anything of, of a decent size knows that there's the element of content, the thing we're negotiating around, and there's the element of relationship, the thing that we're going to be doing for the next three to five years. And what you've cleverly weaved into all of this is you care about the partnership, the relationship, as well as the content. And that puts you in my kind of analysis and I think yeah, Michael Wheeler's analysis in the collaborator box. Would that be a fair read? I, 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 I back to the couch. The, you know, <laughs> like, I, I, I might I change the name of the podcast. Back yeah, to the couch. Might. It's a good name. Right, back, to, back to the couch. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, honestly, my just personality fits more with this also. So I think there's something to be said about the type of person you are in how, you know, you evolve as a negotiator or a business partner or things like that. So I, I think that's, you know, sort of a open book about, you know, who I am is, um, you know, 
I love when we can find a place where there's common ground. There's nothing for me more sort of um, enjoyable in what I get to do uh, for work when I can say or be a part of something where somebody feels great or a partner feels great at what we've been able to accomplish. I mean, it just feels like, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. So I might not have been in this role or these roles if it was still very much driven by competition, to be honest. I, I feel like personality-wise, I would have struggled. And there was many times earlier in my career um, <clears throat> where I struggled, even in early print days, even have to go, I had to at times get on a subway train in New York City to go out to Brooklyn to collect money from people who had bought, you know, these little, you know, ads in the back of a magazine and back to your SME, these are tiny little businesses who were built, who were buying sort of classified advertisements in a national magazine. And to sit there and try to get them to give me the $200 or whatever it was, it, it was it was true competition because they would say it wasn't worth it. They would say, and and so I, I don't know, I, I don't know if I would have survived much if the if the idea of business negotiation had continued down a path of competition and winners and greed is good those are things that are just a little bit different for me as a person and so yes you read me right i am much more collaborative or i try to be anyway i try to do my homework i try to think about persuasion as only getting to this win-win, not persuasion as getting to a win-loss. And, uh, you know, I, I believe I want to work also somewhere where I believe in the value that I can exchange, which is a really important part of negotiation also. If you're coming from a place where you're unsure of actually the value you even can provide, you know, that's that's a tough place to be from a negotiation standpoint. And, I, and I've been, been fortunate to be in a few places where there's been a little more understanding or truth around the value that can be had by partnering with, you know, the properties I've been a part of. Absolutely. And I think two themes there, one that you've just kind of like mentioned around value exchange is, you know, anyone that's listening to this, it's easy to say value exchange, but you've got to work it out for someone. You've got to, you've got to write down for them the economic value that you can help them deliver. Because they've got to sell it to their internal bosses as well. That's so right. actually understanding the true ROI, the true value, and I don't mean the exact science of it down to the last cent, but what I would call directionally correct. Can someone tell that story about how much value is going to get created versus what it's going to cost us to get that value? So that's point number one. And secondly, uh, and again, we'll, we'll go back to the couch, Penry, because I like the couch. It's a good place to be. As long as I'm not on the couch, me, then we're all right. You, you brought you brought up anxious. It just makes me more anxious when I go back <laughs> to the couch. That's all. Um, I think one thing that people misread with collaborative negotiators is I suspect you can be very tough-minded, but collaborative. Being collaborative doesn't mean that you yield. Being collaborative means that you're creative. In my book, creative and tough-minded. That's the art of collaborative, creative negotiation. Yeah. And that's really important. It's very important because I think a lot of people could think that you're right. It's a it's a, a practice to yield or it's a uh, or, or a capability where you will yield more often 
Um, and and I, I never look at it that way. And and and, and look, maybe maybe there are times uh, over history where, you know, I've given more than I've gotten, but I don't think those have hurt me. I think those have from a long term. And I, and I guess it is a little bit of, you know, the timelines we're talking about. I always think of a long term view on. I take a long term view on these things. You know, ninety some percent of the time. If I, if I again, if there is a win and loss, if I lose this time, I will hopefully allow that person to sort of still do really well with what they receive, and I will make sure that I keep the relationship going and foster more of the relationship so they understand that at some point we're going to equal out, and I might win win the next one, and uh, and so I, I do think this idea is really important. Uh, this notion of being collaborative is not necessarily being weak. It just may be collaborative, maybe to your point, a little more creative, but it's also understanding that you're in it for the longer term and it's building to a bigger collective. It's not building towards just the next negotiation. Exactly. It's not a tactic. It's a long, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I think that would be absolutely right. Pemery, I don't want to abuse your time because you've been very generous in, in giving us your time. Um, just kind of a, a couple of last things. So kind of one overall if someone sat there and they're listening to this uh, and they're, you know, reasonably early in their negotiating career, but negotiating bigger and bigger deals, what advice would you kind of broadly give to them? What would you say to them? I don't get caught up in, and you started with this, so we got to, you know, preface it that way, the biggest deal and the smallest deal. I, you know, don't get caught up in the size of the deal. Get Just, just think about preparation. Know that you know, both sides as best possible, be transparent in your approach. Um, you know, it, it's okay, again, to show your vulnerabilities. People sometimes like, I'm going to wear my power red tie and all these things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to me, again, that often is is quite inauthentic. And so, you know, my take would be do your homework because that is still at the point like of differentiating yourself versus a competitor. If you know this person's business and the value they're looking for um, and the way they actually start to monitor value and think about the really the, the ROI point that you talked about, you've got to know that cold. So that is the most important thing, I think, there. Uh, and then secondly, is really start this you know sort of movement towards how is it going to make sure there's transparency in the discussion? Uh, share what you're trying to achieve. Share why you're trying to achieve that. Share, you know, what you're hoping they achieve out of this. You know, being much more transparent. And and what we talked about, I think, is super important. Is know the person you're dealing with. Know what their, you know, interests are as best you can. Their tone, their typical approach on these things. Do some homework related to the person, not just the business deal you're working on. Henry, it's been amazing. Thank you. Uh, really amazing. And thanks for sharing your insights. Where can people find out more about you and about LinkedIn? Uh, well, good thing there is a LinkedIn.com is a great site where we can network. I'd love to meet other people in the industry. Again, I think part of you know why I'm here, as I said, is still collaboration and creativity, but it's also just amazing people I've been able to work with and meet. So certainly, you know, sort of connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to continue the discussion. Brilliant. Penry, thank you ever so much for being a part of this series. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it very much. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Drum Podcast series on Negotiation Insights with your host, Mike Lander. Please subscribe so that you'll catch the next episodes from our global marketing industry experts.